Well, good morning, fellowship. So good to be together. I'm going to invite you to take your Ruth booklet, uh, your Ruth booklet or your Bible, and let's go to Ruth chapter 3. We are picking up where Rob left off last week. You'll recall our study through the book of Ruth, chapter 1 is really about it's death and famine, it's loss. Uh, Chapter 2 is about life and food, uh, bountifulness. Um, And then chapter three, Rob started last week. Uh, I'm gonna finish it this morning. And uh, with chapter three, I love what Rob said when he he started last week, if you were here. And he said, you know, he was joking about, he said, I feel like I got the short end of the straw because I've got this passage and it's just this oblique, uh, ambiguous. It it, honestly, it can be confusing uh, in, in what's happening. But he said, the longer I stayed in the passage, the more I realized this is the money passage. This is, this is it. This is, this is where the story like, like explodes right before our very eyes. In chapter three, I would say it this way. God, God pulls back the curtain and what we see is God is not just concerned with filling their stomach. No, no, no. God is, is concerned with filling their hearts with hope. And I'll tell you, when, when your heart is filled with hope, uh, things happen. Uh, that, that's really at the core of the message this morning. What's, what's their hope rest upon such that they live uh, in that way? If you missed Rob's message, and again, because we teach through books, you got to stay with the context as we move through. So I want to encourage you to go online and watch it or listen to it. Um, in that message, he, he helped us work through this a confusing rendezvous on the, you know, on the threshing floor at night uh, there in Bethlehem. And it helped, he helped us see you all that uh, far from a, like an immoral seduction, either on uh, Naomi's part or Ruth's part, what this is, is a faith-filled proposal of marriage. That's what she said, and, and you'll see, we'll, we, you know, we're going to catch it in Boaz's response. That's not normally how people got married, right? Go to the threshing floor, uncover the feet when he wakes up, say, you know, that's not how it normally happens, but here's the point. There's nothing normal in this story. There's nothing normal about the life of faith. Nothing. Watching Ruth and Naomi as they pull this off, I don't know about you, you know, but just as a, as a reader, we're reading a story. Um, you know, you read it and, and it kind of leaves me at least, you know, might leave you saying, what are you guys thinking? <laughs> you know, what, what are you up to? And what happens as we finish the story is the Bible is a mirror and Ruth and Naomi actually are going to look at you and I and say, what are you all waiting for? Like, it's not like, what's your problem? They're going to look at us and go, what's your problem? (laughs) What are you missing that you're not choosing faith even as we are? So, Ruth has proposed marriage. That's last week. And now Boaz's response holds the key to their future. And I don't don't want to just scoot past that. In, In light of what they have now endeavored to do and where they've put themselves... They have just given it all. I mean, you know, Ruth made a promise to Naomi early on and left everything. Well, they've done it again. It's like, we've just, we're counting on this and this is all we've got. And so 
Boaz's response, you see, holds their future. We stopped right as he was getting ready to respond last week, a bit of a cliffhanger. And so I wanna pick up so that we're in the context at verse eight. So, so now we're at verse eight. I want you to start there and then we'll get to our text today, which is verses 10 to 18. Notice God's word to us today. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Will you marry me? Redeem me. Now our text for today, I'm gonna take it verses 10 to 18, but I'm gonna take it like two verses at a time, make a few comments as we go. Notice his response, verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now, let's just say this, because I, I wanna make this super clear. By Boaz's response, would we say this was dark and sexual? No, right? Because Bo, right, Boaz's response tells us this is what has clearly happened. He says, your first, your, this kindness is greater than the first, meaning when you made your pledge to, to, to Naomi, I mean, yeah, to Naomi and her God, when you, when you made that pledge of love and fidelity to her, what you're doing with me right now, which is proposing marriage, is a greater kindness than even that. Now that word kindness is the Hebrew word that we keep talking about. That means God's steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness. What word is that? Hesed. So see when he says, he looks at her and says, your hesed that, that you, you are asked me to redeem you now is greater than your first hesed. And I want, I want you to catch this that God's hesed, his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness to us, once, once received, it flows through his people, okay? It, it, it hesed passes amongst the people of God. We give hesed, we act out hesed to one another. When he says, my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, the literal Hebrew is the people at the gate know that you're a worthy woman. That's so important because as we finish in chapter four, there's gonna be some work that happens at the gate of the city. This is cultural, but in those cities, there's a gate and, and at the gate, that's where all the business is conducted. It's where the elders of the city would gather and conduct civic business, religious business. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's this idea. Hey, the elders of the city know you are a virtuous, worthy woman. Now, I don't wanna go way down this, but I wanna say this, how did they know? They watched her live her life. And, and did she, what, did she teach the Bible? Did she, what did she do to, that she was so virtuous? She took care of her mother-in-law. She gleaned in the fields. <laughs> virtuous woman of character. Verses 12 and 13, the story continues. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. 
remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if not, he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, uh, it's a promise. You know, God lives. If, if God wasn't living, I wouldn't be keeping this promise. God lives, so I will keep this promise. And as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. I don't know about you, but just as a story reader, and, and again, remember, this is a story. Yes, it's the Holy Scripture. It's the Bible, but it's a story. And as you read that, you know, uh, my response is everything. I go, Whoa, are you kidding me? You know, like Ruth's getting married. And then what? Are you kidding? There's another guy? No, it's supposed to be Boaz. You know, that's, that's how we read the story. And so, so, so Boaz says, there's another man who's closer related to Elimelech, Naomi's husband. You remember Rob, Rob walked us through the clan? You know, you start with the patriarch and then in, in the clan and the tribe, there's another member of the clan that's closer and he's got first dibs on Ruth. And I, you know, I, I mean, in my mind, I'm going, no, you know, I also will say this. Um, if I were Boaz, there's no way I would mention the other guy. See now, you know, I'm not Boaz, right? You already know that. So that's how I would operate. Not Boaz. No, he's gonna, he's gonna do the right thing, isn't he? Regardless of the cost. Um, there's two principles I wanna touch on here. The first is this, I'll put it up on the screen. Unanticipated problems don't mean you missed God, but that God's plans are bigger than your own. Y'all, oftentimes we, you know, we may work ourselves up in a, bit, in a step of faith, you know, and it's like, oh, I made the step of faith. And then things don't go like you planned. And you begin to question yourself, you know, did I hear God? Did I miss God? Now, listen, the hardest step of faith maybe it may not be the first big one. It's all the little ones that are required along the way to stay faithful in the midst of problems. That's called a fallen world and a fallen body with fallen people, problems. Does it mean you miss God? What does it mean? It means, well, your plan, actually there's a plan bigger than yours and it's God's and he's gonna do it and he's gonna see it through to the end. So that's the first lesson or principle I want you to think about. And the second is, I've mentioned it, but it's close to that. It's faith is doing the right thing regardless of the cost. It's doing the right thing regardless of the cost. And as I wrote that sentence, that I, I sense the Spirit say to me, and I'm gonna say to you online in this room, if, if you, and I don't have anybody in mind, so, but if you find yourself today at a place where you're tempted to compromise or you're getting ready to do something that's not quite right, or even this, this is rightfully mine and it's not working for me to get it this way, so I'm gonna go this way to get it. Boaz, Boaz says it's not worth it. That, that faith chooses the right thing, regardless of the cost. I mean, he, he may not get, get Ruth, but he does the right thing. Verses 14 and 15. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. By the way, the commentaries I read on this, he, he probably said that to himself. There's something in the language that points to, you know, he's saying to himself, I don't want people to know that she was at the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out, probably a shawl that she was wearing over what she covered her. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. 
and she went into the city. From Ruth's lips, we actually get more details um, of, of, uh, of what, what happened in the next section. Here, all it says is he, he gave her this barley and note that it says he put it on her. So, so we got to note, uh, it's probably not an ephah. We don't know what the measure is exactly. An ephah would be like 235 pounds. That's not what he did. But it, it's clear it was a large amount. They think maybe a sia, which would have put it about 80 to 100 pounds. We know it's a lot because he didn't hand it to her, did he? What did he do? He put it on her. And people, he put perhaps on her head, uh, perhaps on her back. Verses 16 to 18. I'm going to get to get this story. And I'm going to give you this principle. Verse 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Here's where we know what Boaz said when he gave her the six measures. He said, I want you to go back to your mother-in-law. She, you must not go back to her empty-handed. Now, when Rob and I are encouraging you to just keep reading the book of Ruth, because you got to just be familiar with the, the story. When, you, when you're familiar with the story and, and that word hits you, and that Boaz says, you, you must not go back empty-handed. You go em, empty, and it takes you back to chapter 1, verse 21, where Naomi's coming back to Bethlehem from Moab, and she's saying to the women of the town, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Same Hebrew word. I've come back empty. And so now the writer's helping us see, oh my, oh my, Boaz is saying, oh no, 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 your emptiness is being filled. I want to pull us up above the story. And there's much, there's so much here, of course, that we could un unpack. I want, to, I want to lift our eyes up and I want us to look at chapter three uh, as a whole from 30,000 feet. I want to look at it in this way, if you will. It's, it's, it's like uh, three scenes or three episodes. And you'll note they're time stamped. Again, this is where we just, we, we read the literature itself. It's time stamped. So that notice how the story begins, the sun is setting. In other words, it's moving from daylight to to darkness, right? That's how the story begins. Hey, we got this plan. This is what we're going to do. And then you'll note right in the middle of this story, this is just chapter three, at midnight, at midnight, it says, Boaz startled. So you see, we've gone from the sun is setting, the darkness is coming to darkness and the utter darkness. And then the story comes, she, she, she goes back home and then she goes back home. The light is just coming up. It's not quite light yet. The sun is rising. Now, why do, why do I, I say that? Because there's more than meets the eye in the book of Ruth. And even in those timestamps, there's this picture of that hope can wane and there can be moments of darkness when there's no hope. And then there's that time when it's like hope is on the horizon again. 
And y'all, it's a beautiful metaphor, quite frankly, of the life of faith. And there's no one in the room, there's no, none of us online or in the room who is not at some phase of hope in life in some area, in some relationship, some situation. You know, they're not all the same. I mean, in this particular way, it's duh, hope's waning. And I'm in a particular place here in this particular situation. There's, it's dark. And there's another one where hope's rising. Do you see that? It's a beautiful picture of, 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 of the life of faith. We will walk through those things. Now, in in the sun setting, in the darkness and the sun rising, there is one constant that runs through that never changes. And it's the principle, it's the doctrine that we've talked about from the very beginning of Ruth that holds the whole story together. And I'm speaking of God's providence. God's providence. Westminster Shorter Catechism, God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. I don't know that it could be said better. Written in the 1600s. We come back to our own vernacular, and, and I could say it this way, God's providence are his works by which we see God is in control. He's in control. I don't know, but what about this? What about that? What about, he is in control the losses and the hallelujahs. God rules and reigns his creation such that, that all things will move toward his purposeful end, which is his glory revealed through a redeemed humanity and a redeemed creation. And that his glory shines forth more fully through the redemption of a fallen humanity and creation. That if there never been a fall, I can't get my head around that. So in this story, the whole and the part we're looking at now, I want to suggest that Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz are resting, okay, resting in the providence of God, which fills them with hope. And when filled with hope, can you believe what they just did? There's a study, it's a very old study where they took and, and uh, sociologists were seeing how children played on playgrounds. You've probably seen this. It's, it, it's again, very old. But they they took, a, took a playground with no fencing, no borders around it. And they put kids on that playground and they observed how they played. And then they took another playground. You know, the other group was a playground with boundaries. It was fenced in, it was fenced around. They observed how the kids play. And what they noted was that on the playground with no boundaries, the kids stayed very close to the teacher. I mean, if the seesaw was over there and the swing was too far away, they just didn't go that far. They wouldn't venture out beyond the security on the teacher. They go over here to the, the playground with the fence around it and the clearly delineated boundaries and the kids just went crazy, right? They just go everywhere. They went all over. They cover the whole playground with the boundaries in place. Now, I say that to suggest that when you and I are convinced that God is in control, that God's providence rules and reigns. When we're convinced of that, there's no place on the playground we won't go. I mean, we're going for it, right? When you know God's in control, 
we trust God is in control, then, then you, you make, you do crazy steps of faith, you know? You do what, things like what happened in this story where we're scratching our heads going, are you sure, Naomi, you want to do it? No, when God, when you're trusting in the providence of God and resting in God's providence, we take those steps. Now I've got two principles that I'm gonna wrap here with. The first is this, I'll put it on the screen. I've kind of said it in so many ways, but let me spell it out. Confidence in God's providence compels you to love at great cost. This is, this is baseline. Confident in God's providence compels us to love at great cost. Now, why did I go to love at great cost? Because he said, you're hesed to me. It's, this, it's the steadfast covenant love of God. And when we're resting and convinced of God's providence, then we choose to love at great cost. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> the mission God has given us, you see, it's to love at great cost. And all three of them did. I mean, I don't want you to forget that, you know, Ruth gave up everything to, to follow for Naomi's good. And Boaz, you know, when you think about Boaz, he's, he's committing to this woman. But, you know, one of the details we, we, we miss here is that it seems that Ruth's infertile. She, she did, couldn't have a child for 10 years with her husband in Moab. And yet he's, he's going, he's, he's gonna love her. Which brings me to the second principle and it's, it's, it's paired with the first really, but it's a different angle to take on it. You know, Jesus says, I came that they might have life, might have it abundantly. Jesus came that we might have abundant life. You wanna know what that looks like in part? I'll say it this way. Our fullest life is living to make others whole. Like Jesus said, I came to have life, have okay, I, I, wanna, I want my bucket list. I want, I want this, I want this. The fullest life a follower of Christ can live is to live your life to make others whole. And when we live to make others whole, we're whole. Does that make sense? It's the life that God has, has certainly called us to. You know, read this and, 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 and you go, man, I'd love to, I, you know, I'd love to ask Ruth, why did you make that commitment to her? What, what, what was happening that you said, I'm with you and I will die with you. She went, she says, I'm going to die with you. That's what she said. Wherever you are, I'm going to die. What was that? Or, or even Boaz, Boaz, what were you thinking? How, why would you make that choice when there are other women in Bethlehem that you know could bear children, et cetera? You know, there's, there are some people in all of our lives that reflect these characters. There's one in mine and in many of yours uh, who reflects a lot of, 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 the, of the faith exhibited, not just in Ruth, but I'm saying the faith in, in Naomi and in Boaz in all three. Uh, her name is Rosemary Hamadi and you guys know her as a global partner uh, with Peace International. Um, and I've known her for over 20 years. And, and I, mean, I mean this, it's like, Man, she just comes to my mind, came to my mind even when we're going through this story because I've watched her live her life to make others whole. I'm just telling you, and if you know her, you have watched this as well. She is, quite frankly, running all over the playground 
for the kingdom of God. That's what she does. Uh, you get a little picture of that in this uh, video. This is on her website. You know, it kind of gives us a picture of what she's doing at this particular time. I want you to watch this. My name is Rosemary Hamati. I'm the founder and director of Peace International. In February 2014, I decided to make a trip to northern Uganda on my own. I'd never been there, but I thought it was important for me to go. When I reached there and I was taken to the refugee camp, the first thing I heard were voices calling my name. Because I realized there are people who knew me and they came looking so expectant. They thought I'd brought things for them, but I had nothing. And I told them I'd just come the way I was. I knew they had run away from home. They had nothing on them. Because they were sleeping outside, they didn't have anywhere to sleep. But just looking at the children running around, I feared that LRA would pick them up and take them into to being war children. And that is what pushed me so much to say, if we can't do anything else, let's have a school for the children. In 2013, we didn't even have money, but I had this faith that even if I didn't have money and God knew their needs, he would raise men and women to come alongside me that we could do something for those children in Ajumani. Within less than one year, the two classrooms were completed and the first crop of children from the preschool are now in grade one. We are at Olua One <laughs> refugee camp where the school we have built for the children in the refugee camp are. These are some of the children very excited to see the camera. And they can say camera. Let's say camera. 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 We say it louder. Camera. camera. The fighting in South Sudan is because of lack of education. But we believe that if we brought children in to learn, to be educated, and more so to teach them about Christ, they will learn about God's love. They will learn about loving their neighbor. They will grow up differently. Are you happy? In another 15 to 20 years, we will have a new crop of children for South Sudan that can go back and develop their nation. Not just governing, not just politics, but to bring out a godly nation. Well, we, we, you know, we can't talk to Ruth or Naomi or Boaz in this life, one day perhaps, but we do get to have a conversation with Rosemary today. So I want you to join me in welcoming Rosemary Hamadi to the stage. Come up here and join me. Come here. Good? So, yeah. so um, I'm just gonna, I, I told her last service, I said, I'm just gonna ask you a few questions. I, I wanna think about, I want us to think about her story in, in light of the, what we're learning about God's providence and 
some of the decisions that were made here and how those decisions are reflected even in your own story, in your own life. I'm gonna start though with letting you introduce us to your family, which now that I know from last service, we gotta get a new picture up there because there are more grandbabies. So look at this picture and uh, Rosemary, I'll let you introduce us to your family. Hmm. Uh, On the back row, there's my firstborn daughter, Prudence in blue, next to her husband, David. And next to David is Henry, Henry's husband to Amanda, who is holding their baby in white down there. Then next to Henry is Jimmy, husband to Vanessa, who is holding their little baby girl in pink. And then on the extreme end is Mike and Valerie. They just got their first baby about six months ago. Mm-hmm. And down this way, the, the little boy, Tori, he has a little brother who is one year old. So Tori and Cairo, the little brother is called Cairo. So they are sons to Prudence and David. So one, two, three, five grandkids. Five grandkids. Wow. Five <laughs> grandchildren. Yes. Um, I, I wanted Rosemary to tell us a little bit about kind of her own journey. We don't, we're not gonna go through the whole journey, but, but Rosemary, I want you to, to talk, um, just start with having known her for over 20 years now. Um, we look at what she's doing in Ajamani, and I'm gonna get there, okay, to what that is. But let me tell you, the path from where she started to Ajamani is riddled with challenges and weights and all of those things. I want you to go back to uh, when you went through your divorce, when, when you've got t- four little girls, a mm-hmm. single mom, four girls, and she chooses to invest with a ministry called World Relief at the time, which is, which is critical relief in places in South Sudan. Mm-hmm. How, what was God doing in your life that, that prompted you to make that choice? I believe that God was taking away what I held on so hard that I thought was precious. He took it away one by one. Mm. And I knew he was dealing with me to remind me of who he is. So all the things I held on to and cherished that didn't please him, he actually took them away, including my husband. I remained with these four daughters and I didn't know what to do with them. But all along we had been praying that whatever happens, God help us to finish well. And how do I finish well? I don't have anything. But God, I tell people, but God, Mm. God is the ultimate. He raised men and women, he saints, to just surround us. And some of you would come and ask me, how can we help? What can we do for you? In my heart, I know that was God's providence through his own people. Mm -hmm. We may never have seen God stand before us and say, I am here, tell me what you want. But he spoke through many of you. You prayed, you gave, and there the girls are with their husbands. 
I didn't even know because every people, every now and then people told me, because you are divorced, your children might never get married. But I told them in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, my children will get married and they'll be very happy and they will, I will have grandkids. <laughs> God, God has done it. So you may be here feeling, oh, I'm a single mom. Maybe feeling outcast. But God, mm-hmm. just remember, but God, he is there for you. Mm-hmm. He has prepared a way for you. You won't see it now but just walk. I chose to walk towards God. Mm-hmm. I chose to walk towards him. It's only walking towards him that I met him. Mm-hmm. And through that pain, I realized I was not the only one going through pain. Mm-hmm. Many of us go through pain. And when I found myself working for world relief, for people who are so hurting for so many years, maybe longer than I did, what was God telling me? Minister to them. He prepared me by taking me through that pain, through that face, that I would help somebody else. I believe that pain is not for nothing. Mm-hmm. It's costly but it is one of the best things mm-hmm. that you can, it's such a treasure mm-hmm. because you can only give what you have. I have gone through this pain. When I'm telling people in Ajumani or in <coughs> South Sudan, God is able, I'm a testimony. Mm-hmm. Well, you went to work at World Relief. Um, you left there and you've done a number of things along the way mm-hmm. to what we just saw in, in, in Ajumani. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to talk about some of, the, some of the losses along the way. Like in our story, you know, we go, oh my gosh, there's an obstacle, how are we gonna get through that? Well, this is, you know, Anjumani's not her first rodeo. She has, she's planted and done work, you all, that would blow your mind. I mean, really, it's like, wow, how does one person do that? But along the way, there've been tremendous losses mm-hmm. as well. Speak to that and some of the, disappointments, quite frankly, that you've had along the way? At World Relief, I had to leave because I was told my position was no longer needed. I didn't know where to go next. But along the way, God opened another way. I was asked to start another organization in South Sudan, which I did, and I worked for about seven years. I was again asked to leave when I had invested so much. I think those two were my biggest losses. Mm -hmm. I felt so down that I've done so much for so many years. I've put in so much, invested, but here I go. I don't know how it will end up. I moved on and still wondering, am I doing the right thing? Is God happy really with what I'm doing? Does he want me to do it differently? Where am I going wrong that I start this, then it collapses like that, like that. Can I say this? Mm -hmm. I I love hearing that, because you're human after all, you know? You have clay feet, just like all of us. Yes. I know you do. (laughs) So, it was hard, but I was not going to force myself to stay, so I moved on. And 
When I moved on, there was another project in another area, which was now after I registered my own organization. And we built classrooms. I think there were three classrooms. I personally went there and registered the children to start school in two months. Three days after I left to go back home, getting school supplies ready to send, someone calls me on phone from South Sudan and says, Rosemary, there is a lot of fighting in South Sudan. People are killing each other. Mm -hmm. There are dead bodies everywhere. You can't even step on the ground in the town of Juba. So I just told myself, okay, let me wait and see what is happening. And after a few days, I kept calling someone who was there and they had all run away and the school had been taken over by the army. When army takes over, you can't go there. It becomes their home. So I knew we would never recover. So we lost everything again. And that is when I made this trip to northern Uganda with nothing. I had nothing. But I believe that God, who is moving me from this point to another point, is faithful. He's done it in the past. He's still the same God who will do it. I don't know for how long, but I took that step of faith and said I will go. And that's when I met some kids who know me. And I was like, yeah, here you are. We will keep going. And it's been tremendous. Mm. God's providence. Mm -hmm. I have seen it in my life, in my work, in people's lives, the people we serve. They've seen it. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's, what's happening in Ajumani right now, what yes. you're doing, and how God mm -hmm. is at work there. Uh, like you saw in the video, we had only two classrooms. After you gave us money, we built only two. That was in 2014, 2015. And we had no desks. There was nothing. Children came and they were running with little stones to sit on. Others brought their mats. They were so excited that they can sit in a classroom and learn. And for three years, we didn't know what else to do. So when they graduated from kindergarten, we would send them to neighboring schools, which are like four miles away from where they lived. But God, God's providence has proved that he's still the same God who provides. Mm -hmm. We now have eight classrooms, fully equipped. We are doing the 10th, the 9th and 10th classrooms. And we have 686 children in the school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, with 19 teachers and uh, you know, a, a staff of 30. I never saw this coming, but God mm -hmm. had prepared the way and he has done it. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, you all, it, you know, the, the, you see these pictures here. There's a couple, if you go on our website, you'll see some aerial footage. We're, we're talking about villages in the middle of nowhere. Um, you think it's hard to build here right now? I, I'm being dead serious. I want you to think about what does, what's required to build a building in the middle of, of nowhere and build a school. I mean, 
Few of us could go do, go do it in Columbia today, you know, I mean, but there, what God has done. And, and you chose to believe God uh, was, was calling you there. I, I wanna say also, and we, again, we don't have time to go into all of this, but Rosemary, what you have done along the way, now that's the part I want you to see, that along the way she was doing, and, and they ended. And she's doing something, and it ended. And, and she, but God, and she, she kept going. Um, that work in uh, Ajimani now, the school is, is like she started the school, but talk about what else is happening in the community because it's, it's a community-wide yes. flourishing, quite frankly, <laughs> that is unexplainable, but for the grace of God. Talk about a little bit more around that. Uh, in Ajumani, we believed at the beginning. Children are very close to my heart, so I was like, let's start off with the children. And around this little school, there are people, there are parents, there's a community. Out of this school, other things will come out and spread automatically. So at one point, we realized these children come from homes. And many times you find it's the mothers who are with the children at home. So how can we help these mothers to take good care of their children so that when they, school, they come from school, they go to a home where there is a mother who understands that they may need something. But where will they get the something? So we started a women's project where we are training them to be self-sufficient. We are training them in business. We train them in tailoring. We train them in bead making. We train them in village savings and loans associations. If you go there, these women, they are 150, and they are engaged in business. They are making money. When you see them, the way they dress is not the same way we found them. Mm. They've really grown. And they say they are putting better food on the table for their families than they did before they started the business. Mm -hmm. That tells you what you are doing to provide because you answered God's call to be a provider to those women. Mm -hmm. The other thing we are doing, which we've done for quite a long time, and you are the ones that have funded this project of church leaders training in trauma healing, because we realize these children come to school, they are fighting all the time. And they go back home, they are fighting all the time. How can we get school going? How can learning happen so that there is progress? So we started a church leaders training with two tribes, the Dinka and the Nuer, who had been fighting so badly in South Sudan. That's why they moved to Uganda. But along the way, two years later, they asked, would peace help to train more church leaders from other tribes who are living in the refugee settlement? Mm -hmm. So as of now, we have seven tribes living in the settlement but they are, having, they are getting this training and we don't leave out the host community because if we only train the South Sudanese, they are living among Ugandans. How do we make peace with Ugandans when we are only bringing the South Sudanese? So we involve the leaders from the host community to be part of our training. 
so that there is peace. Even if there's a border between where they live and the community, they know that they are one thing, we involve them, and we are just one. The children from the host community, we have 104 children from the host community. Mm -hmm. We have brought them into the school. So it's like that community is bigger than just the refugee settlement where mm -hmm. the South Sudanese mm -hmm. live. And we believe that this way, we shall be spreading the Lord's love. And through these children, through these women, through the church leaders, you know, these are going to be the change agents in their communities. They are going to be the peacemakers. And this is what we are about. Can mm -hmm. we point them to the glory of God, to the relationship they need to have with the Savior? Mm -hmm. And you have been doing this with me. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. People come and ask, who is doing this? But I run around the corner and I disappear. So they are told, oh, there's a lady here from <laughs> Kenya called Rosemary. And some of them thought Rosemary can't do anything, which is true. I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. God has done it mm -hmm. because I don't have the money. I don't have the energy. I, I, I mean, I have nothing to do what is happening in Ajumani. But mm -hmm. God has done it and he has done it through you. Mm -hmm. So I can never thank you enough and I cannot say you've done enough. There's still so much work to be done. Yeah. But thank you for all that you've mm -hmm. done. It's changing a whole community and beyond. That's the part I want you guys to hear. It's not just the school, it's mm -hmm. not just the children, it, it, it spreads. Now I yeah. want you to think about our story in Ruth. Ruth makes a unbelievable commitment to Naomi. And you know how this story ends. Like we know how this thing goes, but it didn't start like in this way that we're going, wow. No, it started back here with a quiet commitment of a woman to God, but God, and you've not stopped saying it. And no. we don't want you to ever stop saying it <laughs> yeah, uh, and pull stop. us along, quite frankly, yes. as you go. I've got an application I want you to consider. I'm gonna give you a minute to do this. I want you to look up on the screens and you'll see mm -hmm. three questions. Just pick one and trust the Holy Spirit to impress upon you what, what you may do in light of this text, in light of this story. What part of the playground is God inviting you to explore? Is, it, it doesn't have to be you know, gargantuan. It's just what, what's, what's the next thing that God mm -hmm. has for you? And he has something for us, for each one of us. Who is God calling you to love at great cost? Is this not the Great Commission? Love at great cost. Uh, and this is certainly your story. Um, and it's ours. It's what we're called to do. And third, how might God be leading you to live to make others whole? Take a moment. Would you do that? And I'm going to let you have a conversation with God and what he might be inviting you to take a step of faith in. Mm. I want to invite the worship team to come back out. We'll be taking communion in a moment and singing.